Many years ago, before having my own children, I relished the role of being the crazy and fun auntie. I went and spent time helping when my older brother had their second daughter. I brought my niece's hand-knit, colorful sweaters from Ecuador, where I was working at the time, and I took my nieces to their first visits to Disneyland when they each turned seven. And I went to stay with my two nieces and nephew, who was only one year old at the time, so that my brother and sister-in-law could get away for the weekend for the first time in a long time. Thus, I have many fond memories of my nieces and nephew during their early years. One particular memory came to mind as I was preparing the sermon this week. When my nieces were about four and seven years old, I remember they were asking a lot of questions about God. In particular, they wanted to know what God looked like. They had become quite concerned about the fact that we cannot see God, but that God can see us. This didn't seem quite fair to them. One night before going to bed, Molly, the younger niece, commented that Ginger, who was our family's cocker spaniel who had died the year before, can see God since she's in heaven. This spurred additional conversation and questions about heaven, like how do you get there? Is the trip there fast or slow? Who exactly will be there? Allie, the older niece, said she didn't want to go to heaven if her daddy wasn't going to be there. But my brother assured her that he would be there. Now he never lacked from lack of self-confidence. <laughs> the girls still did not seem too sure about this heaven thing until my brother said. Aunt Katie will be there. Both girls gasped. Aunt Katie will be there. Now I'm not sure if these were gasps of disbelief or excitement. <laughs> My brother and sister-in-law assured me it was the latter. But somehow this news did seem to make a difference. Now it's been 20 years since those early theological questions, and Allie and Molly have both taken their own faith-filled journeys through life. But I think it's those. Kinds of simple questions asked by children that are important ones for us to consider as we read scriptures, like we did today. Today is the Transfiguration of our Lord, which some of you may know that we remember also the Sunday before Lent starts. But every seven years or so, August sixth, which is when the Orthodox, more Orthodox traditions celebrate the Transfiguration. Falls on a Sunday, we celebrate it then too. So you're getting it twice this year. All the four readings from today—the one from Exodus, the Psalm, and one from Second Peter and the Gospel lesson—described experiences that people of faith had with seeing God. In Exodus and the Psalm, it was Moses. In the Gospel of Luke, it was Peter, James, and John. And in the epistle, Second Peter, the writer testifies to the events that happened. We heard about in Luke some years later. The four readings fit together nicely: Old Testament talking about two Old Testament readings talking about、uh, Moses, the two New Testament about the transfiguration of Jesus. And because Moses appears both in the Old Testament readings and also in the、uh, New Testament in the Transfiguration. Gives us a connection between the Old Testament and the Gospel, but I would like to focus today on what I see are three common th themes. The first theme has to do with going to the mountain. 
retreating to a holy place. Moses went to Mount Sinai to seek reconciliation with God for his people. Jesus went to the mountain with Peter, James, and John after performing many healings and feeding the 5,000. Perhaps it was to get away from the crowds or the angry Pharisees or prepare himself and his disciples for his impending death. And the recollection of the transfiguration in the epistle probably served to strengthen believers who were facing persecution and martyrdom. It would make sense then that faced with these situations, they would seek refuge on the mountain. Mountains are considered holy places by almost all religions. Many important events in our own Judeo-Christian tradition occurred on mountains, the Ten Commandments, the Transfiguration, the Sermon on the Mount, to name a few. Perhaps it's the majestic nature of mountains or the fact that from the mountaintop, we are reminded of our place in creation. We could say that going to the mountain is a metaphor for retreating from difficulties, pain, or just plain busyness to try to gain perspective. The second theme has to do with what happened on the mountain. In each case, something happened on the mountain that profoundly affected those present, something involving the presence of God. In the Exodus reading, we hear that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. In the Gospel reading, Jesus is transfigured, then Elijah and Moses appear. God's presence came in the form of a cloud, a cloud that can be seen, but at the same time, hides. In both accounts, we sense a mixture of awe and fear that these encounters cause. We hear that when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. When Jesus is transfigured, Peter, somewhat known for his impulsive responses, suggests that they build three dwellings, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The Luke adds, not knowing what he said. Perhaps it was one of the awkward silences, or it was so spectacular that Peter wanted to build a memorial, or perhaps he sensed that something bigger than all of them was ahead and he wanted to avoid it. How many times we too desire to stay on top of the mountain to avoid the mess below? Then came a voice from the cloud, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. That was enough to squelch Peter's idea of a memorial. Yes, encounters with seeing God sometimes make us fearful, and our first response is to do something. But what we really should do is listen. And this brings us to the third theme, how these mountaintop experiences ultimately transform those present. For example, in the passages immediately following today's gospel, Jesus and the disciples return from the mountain to heal a boy possessed with a spirit that throws him into convulsions. It is clear that Jesus is training the disciples to carry on his work after he is gone. He is frustrated that they could not drive out the spirit without him. After healing the boy, Jesus warns the disciples of his impending murder though they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. 
We have the epistle, however, as proof that the disciples were ultimately transformed to carry on Jesus' healing ministry. In all four passages today, then we see how these mountaintop experiences with God's presence bring about transformation and healing and ultimately lead to a stronger community. It does this by connecting them to the past, preparing them for the future, and giving them a common vision and destiny, even though they may not understand it completely. When they went to the mountain, they were no doubt tired, worn out, perhaps even on the verge of giving up. Yet they emerged from these experiences, ultimately empowered and able to lead their people, heal the sick, fight injustice, and disciple new servants to carry on this work. These experiences of seeing God transformed them in ways that perhaps they didn't even understand at first. Not immediately, as we see with the disciples who were unable to heal the boy possessed with the convulsive spirit. But over time, as they continued on their journeys of faith and passed through even more difficult times, these experiences did not inoculate them from difficulties, but instead gave them strength to persevere. And so it is with us, too. Our times of reflection, prayer, and deep spiritual insight, might I even suggest seeing God, are fuel for the journey, but also for the work of social justice in the world around us. Meister Eckhart, a 13th century German theologian, once wrote, what we plant in the soil of contemplation, we shall reap in the harvest of action, and thus the purpose of contemplation is achieved. I first heard of Meister Eckhart from a priest friend, Gary Cummins, who has done a lot of thinking about this connection between spirituality and social action. He has written two books on the topic and many, many sermons. Uh, the first, Spiritual People, Radical Lives, explores the lives of four 20th century individuals who embodied this connection between spirituality and social action. Journalist A.J. Musty, organizer Dorothy Day, preacher Martin Luther King Jr., and monk Thomas Merton. Gary's second book, which is called If Only We Could See, Mystical Vision and Social Transformation, delves profoundly into this idea that our experiences of seeing God, whether mystical or more mundane, are what fuel and sustain our efforts to bring about a more just world. He calls mysticism an inner revolution and activism a mirroring socioeconomic tr transfiguration. I have copies of both of these books if anyone would like to borrow them. Uh, but I'd like to share just one little piece from his book uh, from the beginning that sort of set the stage for what he talks about. A truly mystical vision always leads to social transformation because a clear view of God and the world always becomes a burr to an anguished passion for a new earth. For people of faith, social transformation is always undergirded, encompassed, and made more urgent by transcendence. So this age-old tension of faith or works, spirituality or justice, is no such tension at all. Each one needs the other for true transformation, a back and forth, a dialectical relationship, where contemplation leads to action, which leads to further contemplation, which leads to action. You get the idea. Now, many of you probably know all this, which is why you come to St. 
Augustine's, which has a strong tradition in both contemplation and social action. For those of you wanting to deepen your involvement in either or both of these, I encourage you to consider the many ways that this community can support you, and you, the community. Last month, I attended the women's dinner and learned, among other things, that Pope Francis had done a TED Talk. And it was available online. Everybody just Google Pope Francis TED Talk. And it's about <clears throat> calling for a revolution of tenderness. There are also groups for healing prayer, for preparing serving meals for homeless youth, centering prayer, Sunday school and Bible study, celebrating LGBT, Q Pride, education for ministry, retreats, children and youth programs, and advocating for immigrants and refugees, just to name a few. If there isn't a group for something that is your passion, please come talk with me or the other Katie or Nate about what you'd like to do. As the believers in the readings today, we must dare to go to the mountain to quiet ourselves amidst the busyness of our lives and put ourselves in the place where God's presence will be made known to us, be it in a strong voice or a gentle whisper or in the sheer sound of silence. When it comes, we must have the courage to listen. Finally, we must allow ourselves to be transformed into instruments of tenderness, compassion, and healing. It is my hope that as a result, our children, and in fact, all of us, might be able to see God. Amen. <laughs>